Caillou and uh, Roy, and uh, do you have any uh, positive realizations lately, uh, having experienced the COVID-19 situation? Mm, so how am I? I'm at home. And um, yeah, I think safe for now. But yeah, it's been a very emotional roller coaster lately. Like, um, yeah. of course, there are certain restrictions to what you can do and what you can't. But I think it's mm -hmm. been a pretty, um, it's been a pretty interesting time. Like, an experience like this helps you to really understand and appreciate what you haven't appreciated. Mm -hmm. I feel like for eighty-five percent of my term, I've been just fighting for numbers. Like every single day, go to expire and check the data and feel frustrated. But now that, like, even though there are goals, but let's say we can't achieve a lot of them. So now I go back to the process and I start to really understand more on what we're doing and try to enjoy that. So uh, like the fear or like the frustration of goal fulfillment is replaced by like enjoying the process in itself. Yeah. But I think one damage is my biological clock is messed up. So I've been sleeping at like 6 a.m. in the morning and waking up at 2. So yeah, it's sad. Yeah, then, it, it, yeah, it's very messed up. Don't learn from him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, from, uh, I'm doing also great. Uh, I, I mean, like adapting to this working from home was not particularly easy for me because uh, I need to interact with people to, to feel productive. And just being at home all the time, I, I don't know for you guys, I don't know if anyone here shares the same, like being at home, I just want to rest, just want to chill. And I spent a lot of time going on YouTube, watch, watching basketball a lot. So, so in the beginning, it was quite tough. But uh, I believe the past few days, have been, it's been better. And, and the funny thing is, I, I like to just go out to caf random cafes to, 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 to work sometimes. And my MC teammates, like Sweta, for example, she, she would say, don't go to random cafes. Uh, so, but, but anyways, I, I'm good recently. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so in terms of my positive realizations uh, from COVID-19, I, I, I guess it's just, you know, last week I listened to uh, a podcast, it's called After Hours. Basically, it's from three Harvard professors. So they just share how it's these tough moments that make people genuinely connect with each other, forgetting all the hatred, the barriers that are between them. Uh, I guess this is just like the time where we, we should particularly remember that every human being before us, in front of us, it's, like, it's not to be taken for granted. Like, like uh, people could, could live and die at any time. And uh, if we can, we, we should be appreciating the people around us and be, just be grateful for whatever we have. So, so it's, it's more or less similar to the point that you, you made, Roy. Yep, yep. Yeah. Okay, so, um, so, so let's begin. Um, so so let, let's let's start by just saying why are we starting this podcast? Um, so basically, this podcast is about reading and um, like yeah, Roy, why 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 did you actually pick up reading? And when do you pick up reading? Like when I look back, um, when I was in form two, form three in high in school, that time I used to read a lot of books. Like. Um, especially like, uh, yeah, of course not leadership books, but then those like detective novels and like Sherlock Holmes, Agatha Christie, or like back then I was a very big Harry Potter fan. 
Um, but then when I went on to higher grades, I just stopped reading. Like the only reading I need to do is like those public exam papers and like all the textbook that I need to vomit in the exam again. So I think it got discontinued for a long time. And then um, when I come to university, even in year one, it's um, like nothing much. Like the only reading you do is just um, your, your course readings. That too, you don't do them properly, but not books and not novels, definitely. Um, I think the real changing point comes when I'm preparing for M for, for LCP. So MC? Did you just say MC? No, I, I said LCP. I mean, I thought you um, said MC. And then, and then that time I just realized um, I'm a small potato. Like, um, even if I do transitions, like even after doing, I think 15 transitions, I still have no idea on how to lead a team well, how to run an organization, stuff like that. And I remember when I read your MCP application questionnaire, you're given a list of books that people can read. So I just picked up one and then it just became a habit and you start getting addicted. Mm -hmm. And then you start realizing that, damn, like transitions and what your predecessors tell you can only like basically push you to a certain extent. But basically if you don't have external insights and perspectives, it's, it's very hard. And what I realized after reading the books is like, I just not only need them in an ISA context, but even in an everyday life context, like to have better habits, to be a good person, to know how to communicate well. So yeah, mainly on that part. Yeah. So by the way, one of our audiences say you're going to apply for MCP one day. Do you want to respond to that? <laughs> uh, move on. So move that, on. Okay. How do you okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, wait, so, yeah, wait. Yeah. Uh, um, so I began reading when, yeah, I, like, okay, so, so now I read a lot of nonfiction, um, but this habit of reading started when I was uh, in high school. I guess it's like form two. Uh, so so this, the, the little secret is there was this English teacher that was quite pretty. <laughs> and then she has a lot of books to suggest and I just want to impress her. So I just, I just, I just, yeah. I just ask her if you can borrow me your books. And uh, I would read super quickly just to impress her. Uh, but but don't, don't worry, everyone. Uh, I didn't like, yeah, it there, there's, yeah there's nothing. It, it's just teacher and student, okay? Um, so so I, I, I read there and then I started to pick up the, re the habit of reading uh, in high school. And then I, I guess when I was having my DSE exams, I just very naturally stopped reading because I don't have to, uh, yeah, I don't have to focus there. And then when I entered ISEC, and I guess it's when I stepped up as LCVP, uh, I have a predecessor, uh, LC, LCP uh, predecessor. His name is Jason Kwan. So he's the session 1314 LCP. So I, I was just talking to him casually and I was saying, so if I want to make the most out of my experience and I want to learn a lot of leadership, what would, you, what would your advice be? And his advice is read more. Um, so he, the first book I read, I remember it's called uh, Winning. And uh, it's very amazing. Uh, it's the book by Jack Welch, uh, the famous Jack Welch. So it's basically a lot of management. And I think, I think from that book, I realized like leadership is really about genuinely caring about people. And then, and then when, when I started reading, there's just no turning back. 
I just read and read and read. I remember the craziest stretch that I read was when I was preparing to start my MCP term. I think it's March 2019 to, to May 2019 when I have this challenge with Matthew that we would read 30 books before we start the MC term. But we didn't finish that. Like, very honestly, we, we read like 15 to 20 books. Because um, we, we, we told each other, like, if we set an ambitious goal enough, maybe like uh, we might not be able to reach that, but uh, we would be able to reach like far beyond what we would otherwise have achieved if our goal is much less ambitious. So, mm. so, so that, that's how I picked up reading. Yeah. So, so do, do you have a crazy stretch? Like where you just read, read like crazy? I think it's the summer as well, like last summer, because uh, yeah, I have nothing to do. So I just read books on the MTR. I think what I realize is it's tough to find time, like in your time schedule. So you really need to create time. So when you're on the bus, when you're on the MTR, I, I, I used to just read that. Until one day I was walking in Mongkok and I was crossing the road and reading a book. Like I got so addicted and I'm about to be hit by a car. So I think after that, I just stopped reading in public, public places. Like I would go to a cafe or something and read. So yeah, I mean, it's such a bad way to die if you get hit by a car reading a book. <laughs> right. So yeah. Right. So I, I remember you guys have a challenge of, I think, one, one book for two weeks or one book for one week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One book every two weeks. Yeah. Like, like that time I was still working in a startup company and I would take the lunch time not having lunch with my colleagues and I just stay, stay at the office and read. Not, not because I don't mm. want to social, I talk to them, but I, I was just crazy about reading at that time. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I, anyways, this is the, the reason why we started this podcast is because both of us are fe like feverish about reading. And uh, again, like we, we realized there are like a lot of jewelries from reading and maybe not everyone has the time to, to commit to reading a lot. So we could just spend a, like a, a day in a week on a podcast for 30 minutes where we just share some of the, the books that we've read about. And, and I believe that like some, some things, some thoughts, some insights that, that, that would be useful for everyone to think about also. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so, so today we're gonna talk about two books. So basically we, we let everyone vote on uh, five books, right? So we're gonna choose two out of the five. And, uh, the, the books that were the most popular were Principles and Emotional Intelligence. Um, so the way we're going to do this, it's basically like uh, Roy is going to be sharing, like, like uh, bringing forth a conversation on the book Principles. Uh, and I will be mainly sharing on Emotional Intelligence. But, but uh, so instead of just a one-way sharing, I, I, I think there will be more interactions uh, in between. So you guys can also type your questions in the chat box and and we will respond. Or at some point, if you want to just unmute yourself and jump in with a question, also feel free to. So Roy, I think you can, you can start with the principles and the things that we're going to share from the book. Yep, yep. Um, so actually about principles, so I'm not sure if all of you have heard of it or not. So it's a pretty big book. It's written by Ray Dalio. Ray Dalio is a very uh, famous American investor. He's a hedge fund manager. So he is basically having a hedge fund called, I think, Bridgewater Associates. So he has written this book and like essentially there are two parts. So one of it is called Work Principles and one of it is called Life Principles. So um, I would say I started reading this book not by choice, but by the need to read it because um, 
like I think it's in the end of August that I started reading it. Um, and what I realized is before reading the book, I have a lot of struggles. Like I have a lot of um, pains as a leader. So I can talk a bit about it. I think um, like, especially in my first three or four months of being an LCP, um, the biggest struggle was to have ego. Like, cause, cause maybe people think I'm a humble person, but then like deep down, I have a lot of ego. So deep down, I feel like, yeah, like I feel very judged when someone will like criticize me or give me feedback. So I think back then, the feeling of um, number one, not being open-minded enough, and number two, having a lot of ego and blind spots. And what would that mean is I get triggered by very small things. So when someone disagree with me on something, I just have a feeling like, oh, like, you haven't worked hard enough or you don't know enough. So I have a feeling of not listening to them. Or even when I'm listening to feedback, I'm not really understanding where they're coming from. And I think then I really stumbled upon this book. And I would say what the author says is, is really life-changing. I think, um, first of all, he talks about like being radically open-minded. So one of his principles talks about like, what does it really mean to be open-minded and to overcome blind spots and ego? Um, like the main point that he says is, um, it's not just about listening, but it's about really understanding where the person is coming from. So every time when you receive feedback, like how human beings see it is, it's like a personal attack, like someone is trying to crush you. So, um, instead of that, if you objectively listen, if you try to understand where they're coming from, if you treat the person who is feedbacking you as an angel, then you can really understand that. Like, I, I remember there are many stories or many points when I really lose my, lose my shit. So I, I can give you an example. Like, um, after recruitment, I remember one day I'm in a GV info session and I'm basically sharing my GV story for like the millionth time. And then I just receive a message from, I think it's Priscilla. And then she says something like, oh, so have you, have you seen the membership engagement survey of this quarter? Uh, I said, no, I haven't. So she said, oh, like there's a member in your department. She is giving a score of like three or four for every question. So I think there's something wrong. Like this member is disengaged, so you should fix it. So I don't know what triggered that response in me, but I just said, Oh, okay, I will look into it, but it's my department, so it's my business. And at least there's no one quitting from my department, unlike you. Mm. So mm. I don't even know why I said that or like, because when I reflect, I just think it's so wrong. Like someone is trying to feedback me for my own good and for my department's good, but I just have a very like strong overreaction. And then what I realize is like, it's really about having ego and not being open-minded. And when I, again, go back to reading principles, like essentially the author talks about one equation, which really changes the whole perspective. It's called pain plus reflection is progress. So I think like after that, what I try to realize is um, there are a lot of points in which we experience pain. We experience frustration. We experience being hurt by different people. But oftentimes we don't reflect enough. We don't consolidate, we don't retrospect on 
like so what mistake am i doing or what is something that i've done wrong and what is the person really trying to say and let's say even if we reflect we don't make progress from it we just feel like oh like so i'm a shitty person like i should just like stop stop feedbacking or stop listening i just should do my own thing so that's even worse like after reflecting you're not having any call to actions or any like positive um things that you want to do after that so i think really it's about this book like how it changes my perspective towards this and it's not just about like open mindedness or feedbacking like there are so many principles that talk about how to make decisions how to manage conversations how to tackle problems like a lot a lot of principles are there yeah mm-hmm. yeah I, i think um when you said you get triggered easily in the past uh i i really connect to that mm. cuz um <clears throat> like i would just be very honest i think in the past i don't really know how to work well with people um because when whenever there's disagreement uh maybe maybe the the person's intention is just to focus on the the the, the work matter but i would take it very personal i i would feel like that's an attack on my my ability my 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 ability to do things to think through things um so so then it would start to get ugly as in like uh, i would respond in in ways that might be sometimes passive aggressive or sometimes just purely attacking um and, and it was it was quite devastating um so so when i when i picked up this book i guess what it said is that that really really hit me is um like there there are two barriers for every human being it's the ego ego barrier so basically it's um, the failure to to just confront your your mistakes or or weaknesses is that unwillingness to to confront your weaknesses and mistakes and then the other thing is blind spot like blind spot is about not being able to to like everyone thinks um in a very biased way um like like each person here we all have thoughts that are very unique to ourselves but at the same time it's it doesn't represent a full picture and the reason for that is because every person has a blind spot so so then like what really hit me is then ray dalio just said if if you really want like to do great things or if you aspire for success um the pain might be when you when you when you discuss or, or just have a conversation with someone you might get a lot of disagreement and stuff and you just tell yourself it's okay like um it's okay number one to feel attacked cuz cuz the thing is um when we when we face disagreement the way our brain processes it is the same as when we are physically assaulted or when we're under physical like threat of physical assault like the our body processes it the same way like the response would be potentially a fight or flight like either we we just fight back or we just we just we just escape like quit like snap like fuck off i don't want to be in this conversation anymore like so that's very natural like like that's what ray dalio told us the number one thing is just just tell ourselves it's okay like it's a human nature to to feel this and then the second thing is just um to 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 tell ourselves because we have ego barrier and blind spots the smarter thing to do is just to listen first um yep 
because because like listening allows you to fill up the parts where you cannot think through and listening allows you to confront spots and weaknesses and failures in yourself that would actually help you become better and the analogy i always like to use is like 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 this, this is actually from my other idol like kobe Bryant. Uh, so, so he said on an interview, like, that, like, like the, the person who interviewed him asked, like, why are you so brutally honest with people? And he said, uh, if I'm with my friend in a restaurant and I see some vegetables in his teeth, like, I can choose to embarrass him immediately by telling him, or I could just let him walk away and then get embarrassed by more people. And for sure, his answer was, I would tell him right away because I would like to protect him in the end. And maybe now he would hate me and that's fine for him. And, and that's the same thing for, for Ray Dalio. Like, like be honest to give feedback and just embrace the honest feedback too. Because you need to have that mindset of that is actually love. It's tough love. Like when people give you honest, direct feedback, it's an asset. It could be a life lesson. Uh, so that was really life changing for me because when I, when I was LCPP, when I was LCP, I get ticked off some moments very easily and I, like very honestly, I also had some very ugly conversations. It's still something I'm working on, but I think the, the book principles really brought out this uh, ego barrier and blind spot thing really well. Yep, yep. I want to ask, is there anyone in the audience who has like uh, similar stories of um, like a time when they maybe out of ego, they shut down someone from feedbacking them or are there any struggles that you have because of blind spots and not being open-minded yeah so if anyone has anything to say if not yep. then we can move on do you want to pick someone and us because i think people are shy <laughs> oh i picked someone um okay maybe maybe i can pick someone i know first i guess uh -huh. I, I think i think maybe I think, uh, okay, Natalie is not muting herself, so maybe Natalie can go. Why did I not mute myself again? <laughs> okay. Oh, just now, I actually echo with what Darren said. I want to share as well. Uh, because I asked you earlier, I mean, two days ago, about accepting feedback and <laughs> about accepting feedback and also embracing, no, yeah, embracing feedback. And then, um, and then uh, I think I'm also overcoming the, the, the tough love that others give me. Uh, like when others are trying to, to um, give me feedback, it's not trying to attack me. Like uh, instead it's to give me something precious, like input to me, some input to me. But then uh, my way of accepting them right now is not yet um, open enough so that's mm. why it, sometimes it may cause like like as what you guys said like ugly conversation like something that is uh, shouldn't be shouldn't be saying in that way at that moment so I forgot which, which page is this but just now I just uh, scan, scan through um, one page is saying that I shouldn't I shouldn't care too much on how others think who I am. 
like one of the life principles in in the book because i think this is also one way one point why it hindered me to embrace and also openly accept the feedback because i think too much on how would other perceive me after they like given that they can give me this feedback but after all probably it's just it's just trying to uh yeah like give me their comments to help me grow and move on better right yeah, I think I think as we move up the management ladder, like that is some advice I received from a supervisory group member. So basically, like MCIs in Hong Kong, we have like an external body, uh, it's like alumni. So they would give us feedback once in a while. And one time, like one of the members, SG members, supervisory group members, like he just told me like uh, the, the people who actually, the, the people who aspire to be leaders and who actually make it to the end, are people who have really strong emotional resilience because like the higher you go in the management layer the 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 fewer execution what you need to do the more you have to do is deal with people meaning a lot of conversations and and meaning more conversations the the higher likelihood that there will be disagreement so if your emotional resilience is not good enough then uh, maybe at some maybe at some point uh it could be too tough so like the, as the advice of my PAI would be, uh, just always treat every feedback as an asset. Like treat that as an asset for life. You don't, you don't know which feedback can actually be like life changing for you. So after all, in the end, we have the choice to just disregard the feedback we don't want. So why should we stop the feedback in the first place? Yeah, so that's, my, that's my ultimate. And I just want to share one more key learning I have from principles. So I'll just share screen so that you guys can see this because I think it's very valuable. Can you see? Yeah. Yeah. So actually it's called a five step process or a five step loop. So it talks about like, um, like essentially we think the path to success is a, is a straight line. Like we are trying to climb up the ladder always, but, it's actually something like this. Like um, essentially, if you uh, apply the learnings, it looks like like a like a shape like this. So you have goals, and then you have uh, problems, and then you need to diagnose, and then you finally have the design, and then you do it. So essentially, like we always have goals, we always have targets that we want to achieve, but we always encounter barriers. Like, I guess in every pre-screening interview or like every EGM, one question is always asked, like, so what is the key bottleneck? So essentially, like, we always have problems when we do things. But the most important part is when we encounter problems, like we go down to the root cause. Um, like, most of the times what I figure out is even when I'm leading my LCDPs, um, I always have a lot of assumptions towards them. Like, um, when, when someone is not performing, like my mindset used to be like, oh, like, so this person is not committed or this person is not trying their best. But maybe there's a root cause, like maybe this person doesn't feel motivated enough. Maybe this person doesn't feel like their, their work is not being acknowledged. So I think you need to dig deep into the root cause and only then you can diagnose the problem. But, then but, after, yeah. but, but the question I have is, uh... Like, I feel like a lot of times we, we like to evaluate to find out problems, right? Yeah. So, so what, what, 
what differentiates a problem with a root cause? Like, we, we don't want to just solve the problem. Like, fundamentally, we want to find out the root cause and prescribe a solution from there, right? So, yeah. so like, the struggle I always have is, is this the root cause? Is this the root cause? So, yeah. I think, um, like, so, so how I try to identify root causes. So, like, let's say when I'm coaching someone, I, I keep on asking them more and more questions. Like, so if they say this is a problem, I try to ask as many questions after which if I find that there are no more questions about this problem, then it means it's the root cause. Like mm -hmm. someone may say that, Oh, like, so I feel very lazy. So like, so, so this is just a problem, but why do they feel lazy? So you dig further deeper and you ultimately arrive at one point, which is like basically the, the determining factor for all the other problems. Like the problems may be something on the surface, but the root cause would be the main governing problem that like kind of is responsible for everything. So like there's always a, like a fundamental reason for why people behave in a certain way. Mm -hmm. so I feel like um, unless we design the root cause, like unless we address it, maybe the problem can repeat again. Like we may come up with a temporary solution, but we can't really um, have a full and final solution to that problem. Right. Like my, my version of what a root cause would be, it's like, so, so problems are like actions. Like let's say, oh, the goals are not being achieved. Like that's a result. So, so why? Yeah. Like why are the goals not being achieved? Maybe someone would say, oh, because he's, he did not do this. And th that is an action. Like someone didn't do something. That's an action. So that's not a root cause yet, in my opinion. So I would further ask, so why did someone not do it? And then they would say, oh, because they didn't want to do it. So I get closer to it because it's, it's more about internally in, inside of that person. It's not purely about actions. And I would ask further, like why did that person not want to do that? And, and maybe that person couldn't tell, tell me, but I, like in the end, I need to figure out something intrinsic, something that's, that's a quality, but not an action. Yeah. So, so let's say that person um, is, is by nature is just not committed or that person by nature is easily affected by emotions. And that's why like easily that person would be demotivated. So, so when, when we can arrive at something that's less of, less of an action, but more of like, a, like more of a quality, then it's, it's closer to a root cause. And I think Shufi just have a really great question. Like, is qualities like is a quality always the root cause? Um, I I don't have an absolute answer here, uh, but but I think the mindset to go with is always have this mindset of wanting to dig deeper to see if it's possible to find a quality out of the problem that you're trying to solve. Like instead of just settling for something on the surface, try to dig deeper to see if it's actually related to some qualities that are missing. Like if, if you dig so deep and you still cannot find it, maybe maybe, maybe there's no, no such thing as that person has a missing quality. Uh, but at least we, 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 when we ask questions, like as the saying goes, leaders don't have to have all the answers. Leaders have to have the questions. So asking questions are easier said than done. You have to have the right mindset of knowing whether the answers are actually good enough. So that, that means when you ask a question, you need to constantly evaluate the answer without expecting that answer to be perfect. So you ask and then that, let's say that the answer is just an action. 
not a quality, then you just dig deeper, dig until a point where you feel it's getting nowhere, then you just need to trust your gut. That might be the root cause. And if it doesn't solve, the, like if the, that is not fundamentally the root cause, then maybe you can go again later. But yeah, that's, that's my advice. Mm, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so maybe we move on to the next book or does anyone have any more questions for principles? I think I think we can we can move on first. Maybe ah yep. uh, oh, okay. Talking about emotions, how can you actually balance work and emotions at the same time? That's a very great question. Yep. I think um, this is very tough. This is really tough because human beings are emotional people. So, like, no matter how perfectly you try to keep them separate, they are bound to come at some point. Especially when you're making decisions, like it's a balance of like a rational and an emotional instinct that you have to make a decision. But I think what I try to do is um, when I'm not emotionally healthy, I try not to have conversations. I try to shut myself because like when my mind is not mentally working or when I'm not ready, I don't try to do work. Like I, I will do work that doesn't need a lot of like, um, let's say active brainstorming. So I will just send cold mails maybe. But um, when it comes to actual tough decisions or tough conversations, I think I only have them with the same mind. Because um, in the past, like I've been very tired from work and I have had a very negative outburst of emotion. Like mm -hmm. sometimes um, when like you're going home on the MTR, you're very tired after a long day when like maybe your LCVP sends a message, you just get so triggered and you send something and that just ruins everything. So I've made a lot of mistakes like this. So I stop, like when I'm not okay, I just like try to watch YouTube and try to detach and then I come back to work again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I think, I think Actually, that is- Actually, I wanna add one thing to what Roy said. So mm -hmm, sure. yeah. Um... Actually, before Isaac, um, actually, yeah, before Isaac, I was a very short-tempered person. Like, I would get angry or annoyed very easily. But one thing my parents told me, actually, like, after, like, a year in Isaac and I came back home, they said I was a lot less angry and that I was tolerating more shit. And it's usually, like, me tolerating my sister's bullshit. But, <laughs> like, I really change in that sense. And right. what I realized is that um, there is a lot of patience involved and when we're emotional, it's good to take a step back and just wait it out. Like it's okay to just wait and not talk to people at that time. It's kind of like what Roy said, or it's good to kind of like put it in a pause and think about it later. Mm. And yeah, just these kind of things really help me out because after that pause, if it's really important, it'll come back to bug me. If it doesn't matter, then I'll let it go. And that's that. Right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I think, so the, the question, and so now we're talking about emotions, right? I think this is the perfect transition for us to talk about the second book, yep. uh, which is about emotional intelligence. So I don't just want to do a book sharing that kind of stuff. I want to explore, explore something that's relatable to everyone. Uh, I want to explore negative emotions with everyone, um, particularly the, the emotion of anger. Um, cause, um, yeah, let, let me start with a story. Uh, so I never had anger issues. I, I'm not a person who, who has a crazy temper. I'm, I'm, 
let me just put it out there first, okay? That's another one. But but what I have is uh, when I was younger, I really didn't know how to express anger properly. And I'm not sure how many of you echo this, like uh, because when I was young, uh, when, whenever like I have a, a small natural burst of anger when I was so young that I don't even know this is bad, like the, the feedback, the, the response that I would receive from my parents or from the external environments, it's basically asking me to shut up, suppress my anger. So, so, so I think from very, at a very young age, I didn't really learn to how to properly express anger. And then I remember um, when I was, uh, um, I think it's when I, when I was a year one student in university, like one night at home, I had a conflict with my brother. And I guess he, he drank a little bit. And the thing about my brother drinking is uh, while some people have this Asian flush, right? He doesn't. So I, I don't, I, I didn't know he just went drinking. So, so I, I, I just started to confront him on, on some, some issues. And, and his response was crazy. But I, I've, I didn't know where that came from. So like basically what he did is he shouted like crazy. No, no, no. In the beginning, he, he was very silent. Like the, it's basically like he didn't want to pay attention to what I'm saying. Like I feel very disrespected. So I probed further and, and then he bursted. Like he, he essentially, he knocked on my parents' doors and then say he will move out. He would he just say, I'm done with this place. I'm going to move out. So that was crazy. And, um, and in that moment, I, I was also very emotional. Like, so we have this crazy conversation. And uh, I think that that was a very defining moment for me because after that night, I, I, I really feel like the way I express my anger is it's triggering a lot of people, whether it's when I was young, when I was in high school, or even when I'm in my family, apparently the way I'm expressing it, it's triggering a lot of people. And uh, even in Isaac, like sometimes when, when I express my, my frustrations, like I feel like I, I don't get the kind of response that other people might mm -hmm. have when they express their anger. Like some people express themselves and people listen, but I would sometimes wonder why, why when I express my anger, like people just, just try, to, try to just retaliate. So, so then, um, I uh, ended my LCP term and I, I just basically consolidated my, my journey. And I feel like this is still a part where I haven't really tapped into, like how to really work well with the negative emotion of anger. So I, I then picked up the book, Emotional Intelligence. Um, so, so basically this book is like legendary, like, uh, it, high, it first talked about how there are like three negative emotions, like big, big parent negative emotions, like anger, anxiety, and sadness. I think it's these three, uh, as I recall, because it's a long time ago that I read this book. Um, and uh, basically what, like, it basically the book go in, goes into how, like what's the characteristic of each emotion. And uh, if we didn't manage it well, what would happen if we, did manage it well, what would be the positive outcome and so how can we actually manage it? So when I was reading about anger, I think it really inspired me. Um, essentially, the, the, the thing is, uh, don't let your 
small anger snowball into something that's that's just too 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 big to be to to be uh, suppressed you know like like at a point where it when it goes beyond the threshold like if people try to stop or if you just try to still suppress your anger like it wouldn't help like it would just burst out you would explode and and the next thing you know is you have created a lot of this destruction um so that really hit me because that's basically what what i experienced uh, i don't know like roy have have you had uh experiences in the past where where you have to struggle with the emotion anger yeah and i think when i was even like um going to the book like it's it's very relevant to what the author says about like self awareness and self regulation so like even sometimes when i notice like maybe i'm angry or maybe i'm depressed or maybe i'm scared of something like i may have the feeling of self awareness but i don't know how to regulate myself so mm. in the past like when i was young i would definitely be very very reactive i think now when you become older you you stop like you have less number of fucks to give so you don't really care much sometimes but then yeah i think i think what what happens is when you grow older you you tend to internalize your emotions more and keep them within yourself uh maybe it's just the consciousness of like interacting with people and you know that you can't behave like a kid anymore that you can't go crying to your parents be like i want this i want that like um maybe it's a realization of that but um i don't know i think it's a very subconscious thing maybe it's how the brain works because i think the book also talks about a lot of neurology like uh, yeah. they talk about the the emotional aspects and then um, even like some eq skills so yeah but but do you feel like the the way you handle anger is like suppressing it do do you feel like it's going to like burst out one day um actually you know it's weird but i feel like anger the emotion it like when i grow older it turns more into frustration or like just the feeling of being hurt like technically if someone pisses me off i may not really have a feeling that oh i want to kill this person but i just feel sad and disappointed like i think the feeling is more towards that i would say mm. and what i figured out is anger is something that so goes away easily but i think sadness or frustration that stays even longer like you tend to reflect more on that part like sometimes what happens is when someone hurts you you don't you don't retaliate back but the feelings still stays behind with you that oh like this person is just hurting me mm. oh fatma asks if is anger an emotion that is meant to be suppressed expressed right? oh meant to be expressed um good question to, to me i think um generally yes but of course it depends like if it's, it's the, the thing that angers is really really personal then of course don't don't express it but to me the like so we're we're different than just robots in the way that we have emotions uh and uh and uh, the reason why we have facial expressions it's because we are meant to express our emotions like sometimes we don't need to even say it out loud people would know we have something bad going on so so basically our our body is processed in the way that 
helps us naturally already project a certain kind of emotion, just that people don't know what's behind this face. Like the, the, the kind of emotion that you project on the face, people don't know why you're projecting that. So, so to me, uh, I feel it's more healthy. It's healthier to express emotions because it's, it's a way for us to connect with people, like to, to be vulnerable. And uh, just that vulnerability, that connecting with people is what human needs. Like after all, we, we are social animals uh, and uh, emotions is a critical part of bonding relationships. So, so anyways, um, when, 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 so this is anyways an issue I'm still facing, like how to properly handle negative emotions, because I, I'm, I'm really not good at this. Uh, but, but what I took away from the book about on, on anger is first, uh, when, like, first the, the thing is you need to be able to, to just like feel yourself, like, like you, you might not have a very clear feeling that you're angry. Maybe it could be your face suddenly turning red. Maybe it's like, by the way, C-Dub is like this. So when she's angry, like her face turns like a, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so for me, I, I get like red and then my, my heart starts pumping crazily fast. Um, and then I realize, okay, I think I'm a bit, pissed off so that is the first thing i tell myself that as a third person oh darren is pissed off so that that would calm myself down a little bit and then i would tell myself so i need to manage this immediately because like i said just now if we just let that anger boil up then the results are just like it's just crazy so I, I immediately ask myself to express it either through the way that roy just suggested or the way that Shufi just suggested, it's like giving yourself some time, like asking everyone to just maybe have a break, let yourself go back down, pause a bit. Or if you feel comfortable, just express it out loud. As in, you have to express it, not necessarily being angry, but you need to let people know you have the emotion anger. Like it's different. Like expressing something very angrily versus expressing to people that you have the emotion anger. Like you can tell people, okay, I have, I feel angry at this moment, to be honest, because like, like I'm red, I, I'm very pumped up. And then you can go on to explain. You can do that instead of like start starting to attack people. So, so that, that is my learning from the book. And, and I guess it really helped me um, to, to become more welcoming towards the emotion anger. And to be honest, uh, the other emotion that, I'm really struggling with though is anxiety. So I, I think um, I struggle with anxiety a lot because uh, I always worry about not being able to do enough. I always worry about doing a bad job and that really haunts me. And, 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 and the thing is, I don't know how to manage that. So if you guys have any advice or something, you can also type, but, but for me, I've maybe gotten past the emotion anger and now I'm really trying to confront the emotion of anxiety. I think anxiety is like very relevant to even what Adrian is asking. So he says like sometimes negative emotions are kind of like expectation versus reality mismatch. So like when you expect something but it's not delivered, you always have a feeling of regret or 
you're always anxious, like, can you deliver on expectations or not? I think what I feel is more than expectations towards others, I have very high expectations towards myself. And when I don't achieve it, I feel angry, I feel disappointed at myself. Like, um, I may feel that I'm not doing enough. And um, I think this is, this is a point which, um, especially people who are high achieving and who really care about like perfection, I think this is a struggle that they face a lot. Um, but what I realized is, um, at least for others, what I practice is, um, I don't have a lot of expectations on them. So I don't feel very disappointed. Like, um, I, I think I read somewhere like, so happiness is inversely proportional to expectation. So the less you expect, the more happy you are. So I, I try to have more expectations towards myself and um, less towards others. Um, and I think when, like, let's say the expectations are not fulfilled, um, I go back to pain plus reflection is progress because I try to understand like, what is the barrier that is holding me back from fulfilling the expectation? Like, am I not handling my emotions well? Am I not, like, performing to my fullest potential? I try to reflect on that. And I try to come up with some solutions. So I think, um, like, there are some emotions which I think will always stay with us. Like, we can never have emotional control. Otherwise, it would be, like, Buddha. Like, we can have nirvana <laughs> or, like, starvation. So I think it's human to be emotional, but like what the author says, like the way you express your emotions and especially like, I think the, the point that said like only 20% your IQ matters, but 80% it's about your EQ. I think this is so relevant. Like even you go at the business world, you look at Silicon Valley, like there are so many CEOs, like there are so many millions and millions of companies, but why like certain CEOs always stand out from the rest? is because of their way of like emotional intelligence. It's like that is the single biggest quality that leaders really need. Yeah. I want to do go back to the question Adrian asked. Um, like when negative emotions are derived from expectation and reality differences, how do I handle it? I think first and foremost, I think 90% of human conflict comes from expectation mismatch. Like, uh, that, that explains why expectation setting in the beginning is so important um, because very subconsciously, intrinsically, we, we would be expecting others to be behaving or speaking in a certain way. Like, like that's just a human thing. Like the reason why we have so much judgment towards the world and the people around us because we have expectations. Um, so I think we can try as much as we can to reduce our expectations towards others. But if this still happens, that let's say you, you still face a situation where there's an expectation mismatch, I think again, just first tell yourself it's very understandable. Like that would that would be very reassuring to, to tell yourself expectation mismatch is like 90% of human conflict. Just it's very natural. Like don't don't overreact. Just embrace it. That's number one, in my opinion. And then I think number two is just then talk it out. Um, sometimes we don't need to have explicitly a conversation or expectation setting to set expectations. In essence, I think a feedback space, even a natural conversation where you guys just be honest with each other, that's the most powerful kind of expectation setting already. Because, because if I can truly tell what you're thinking, like, and I can count on your words being what you think, 
then I, I really know what you're expecting. But if sometimes we, we try to hide what we're thinking because we don't want to hurt that other person, we, we don't want that other person to think us in a certain way, actually this, this is going to create a downward spiral because, again, expectation mismatch is like 90% of conflict. Yeah. Yep. And then I just came across even this statistic in the book. Like it talks about handling relationships. So like you, you can clearly see like why divorce rates are, are so high, but I think what the author says is it's, it's not necessarily about specific issues, but it's about how a couple, they react to certain issues, like how they basically like handle emotions and conflicts within their relationship. That is the major triggering point for divorce. So I think yeah, like, uh, that is, like. that is the most important thing. But Darren, can you talk about flow? I think flow is a very good concept in the book. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, basically flow is like, um, I, I think everyone here would have experienced a time that you work so, like you, you are so able to concentrate on your work that you, you don't realize you have worked for like three hours or four hours. That's, that, that's flow. Like you concentrate and things just seem very effortless. Uh, it's not necessarily the, the tasks are not challenging. It's simply that like the process is just, it's just like flow. Like it's very natural for you. So that, so that's called flow. And basically the book also talks about that's the ideal state of work that we want to put ourselves in. Uh, and, and, uh, like, um, the book also talks about how we can get into flow and that's something I try to practice a lot. Um, so basically don't let yourself be disturbed because every time you get disturbed then then you're out of the flow. Um, and then number two is the task has to be challenging enough to excite you, but not easy enough. No, no, it has to be challenging enough to excite you, but not too challenging that it frustrates you. Uh, it cannot be too easy, too easy either because it would bore the hell out of you. Um, so, so you need to work on something that's challenging and you need to make sure you have the space to actually focus. And you would be amazed. Like that's why like some people, some leaders wake up at five because they want to concentrate when no one is waking up. Uh, so, so they want to have, have breakfast, all that. And then at seven, eight, they can already do a lot of things very productively because that time they're not interrupted by any conversations, any people finding them. So they can just focus on themselves and they can get into that flow state. Um, so, so the last thing I want to talk about from this book is the, the emotion of sadness. Like, so, so I just, just have one question that I want to discuss and then maybe we, we, we can have another episode later. Uh, so, so when we're sad, like a lot of us would like to say uh, we need some time on our own. Uh, but, but actually, like what I find interesting is, um, I'm not, not sure if this is also the case for you guys. Like the more I spend time on my own, the shitty I, I am. Like, I don't know if this is like an extroversion or introversion thing. To me, I, I don't think that's the, the key. I, I think it's just when we are alone, we tend to overthink. So I don't know, like for Roy, how, how, like how, how is your tendency like when, when you are like sad? Because I'm 90% introvert according to MBTI. So I mm. actually treasure sad, like lone time a lot. But I think what I notice is, I feel like there's a recurring loop of guilt and sadness when you're alone. But at the same time, it's very weird because I don't want to talk to someone, 
but I also want to talk to someone. Like it's a feeling of, I don't want to be alone, but I also don't want to communicate how I feel. So it's like somewhere in between. Um, but I think, do you think it's human tendency not to know a perfect way to deal with sadness? Like if we knew the way, then would we be sad in the first place? I think I think even if we know how to deal with the the emotion, we would still feel sadness because it's a sign for us to understand what we like and what we don't. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, no. I, I like to me like um, like negative emotions. I feel like it's a critical part of our life. Basically, every single day we go through a roller coaster of emotions, um, and I just feel like when we're young, we were never taught how to properly embrace these negative emotions. So these big, like three big emotions, anger, anxiety, and sadness, I feel like anxiety for me is the, the most challenging one at the moment. Mm. Uh, Cause yeah, I, sometimes I, I uh, like that. The, the thing is when I didn't, I couldn't do something. There's this voice in me that would say, I hate myself, you know, like, so, so then like things get to get a little bit more serious. Like, I would start to like uh, have these kinds of body signals that I'm very anxious and I'm, yeah, I'm just uncomfortable. And uh, that's something I'm trying to work on. I see Fatma giving some advice. Mm. Uh, I, I, to be honest, I, I still need to figure out the way yeah. to, to, to uh, yeah. Maybe Natalie's question is the last one we take. Um, yeah, I think I actually have encountered this loop of expressing frustration. I'll tell you an example. So usually what happens is after ENC meeting or after all hands meeting, I have a sudden feeling in myself, shit, like the LC is performing so shitty. So I just go back to my EV group and bombard them with like, like 10 messages. Like, so this is, this is the CTA. This is something we need to do. Like why the IG ads are not out. Why this is not happening. La la la. So I just, I just realized that this is very toxic because like my EVB like her, huh? like suddenly you send us message at 11 at night saying this is, this is wrong. So I feel like me sending the message is adding undue pressure to them. And also it doesn't do me any good. I just have a feeling that I haven't done a lot. So mm -hmm. what I try to do is instead of pressurizing, I like have CTAs and stuff and like, I don't try to express frustration, but I try to express okay, so this is the reality, like this is something we should do. So like these are the CTAs I have from the meeting and yeah, like when you get time, consolidate and let's move forward on this. Like instead of just bombarding them saying, yeah. Mm. Like for, for me, um, I also experienced this. Uh, uh, yeah, basically I also get some feedback externally and I, I then suddenly became emotional. Uh, and then I would just talk to my team, like someone in my team, very emotionally. And uh, so basically it's like, I express my frustration to them and it actually make them frustrated and actually make them pissed off. So, but, but then I, I don't see it as I shouldn't have expressed in the first place. What I think is I didn't express it at the right time in the right way, because I, I, so I, so, so essentially the, the, the real life example is, um, yeah, basically I was at IPM. So I have a conversation with uh, some, some MCPs uh, 
and then mm. like uh, I received some feedback on uh, just advice, just some tips uh, on how I said Hong Kong should do better. And uh, that moment, I just feel like that is some shit that we have, we should have done a long time ago. So I feel pissed and I didn't really properly manage this emotion and hence I became emotional and hence triggering the response of just directly finding my team. And that leads to them, like, uh, because action and reaction is a pair. So me giving them this emotional response, they give, us, give me the same thing. And that's a lot of human conflict. Um, so what I think, what, when I think back to this, I, I feel like I didn't give, my space, give myself space to actually consolidate what was said to me. Um, and I was, yeah, basically I didn't have time to pause and actually uh, understand why I'm feeling that way and then decide what I should do if the outcome is to actually achieve the advice that I was given. So if, if I could do it again, of course, I shouldn't text. I shouldn't just send a message right afterwards because my tone would be bad. And uh, like essentially, we are all sometimes prisoners of our emotions. I guess the best that we can do is try to get out of this prison most that we like. The more we can, the more successful we will be. Should I ask the question? Any tips from the book which help this situation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, it's the same. Like, uh, uh, like I should have just let myself pause. Uh, and as a third person, I should point out that, oh, Darren is angry. Like, like that sounds quite stupid. I'm not sure <laughs> to, to you guys does it sound stupid, but that, that's very effective. Um, and uh, I didn't do that. I, I, I basically, I, I feel I was angry and I just yeah I, at that moment I just let it dictate me and that that essentially is being the prisoner of emotions and and uh yeah that that's why when I when when I said the, the higher you go up the management layer the more conversations you have the more times you feel triggered feel sad feel anxious and if you don't manage emotions well if we don't manage emotions well then we'll give response that would be shown as poor leadership uh, so that's why uh, when our education doesn't really prepare us well in this sense, we need to read and prepare on our own. And I, I, I believe ISA is the perfect platform to, to really practice it because we get to interact with people a lot. Yep. So. Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, it's been an hour. We have overran, overrun like crazy. And like, uh, <laughs> sorry, everyone. Uh, Okay, so, so let's end with some take home. I, I guess just wrap up because we, we share a lot of things. Like what are the things that you would like people to remember from, from this podcast, Roy? Um, pain plus reflection is progress. So think about this equation and how you're applying it. And then uh, the stuff that we talk about, managing anger, managing expectations, I think. More than any concrete advice, like I hope the podcast make you reflect a bit to just go back and spend maybe like 20, 25 minutes tonight before you sleep. Think mm -hmm. about some situations and think about um, like what you experienced, if it's pain, if it's anger, if it's frustration. And I think for both books, the key is like, of course, the book's author is coming from a perspective, but 
like the true learning is when you can reflect and take up and have your own takeaways from the book like maybe me and Darren we applied in ISEC context but for principles or emotional intelligence it's relevant to anyone anywhere like it's, it's a book for everyone so you might want to go back and even think about how it applies to your daily life to your friends to your family to yourself yeah mm. for me um the the the, the key is um we should we should really embrace our negative emotions um yeah because now the thing is in isaac um i've seen people express themselves with emotions and people would just immediately give them a response of stop being emotional um and that just that's just not right and i want to end myself by directly answering the question that was once asked here as in how can we balance between work and emotion my response to that is the fact that emotion is just every single second of us we cannot balance work and emotion like we cannot work without emotions because passion and and like happiness excitement like these are like emotions that would help us work very productively uh, instead my my response my advice would be learn how to work with your emotions uh, meaning when you have negative emotions when you're working know that if you express immediately you will create devastating impact on others so e either you spend some time on your own reflect how you should express it then express it or just give yourself some some time as a break and when you are excited, when you are positive, try to spread that out to other people too. Because emotions are very contagious. So you want to infect people with positivity and you have negativity, you, you want to manage it well first and you want to unite people with your negativity. So yeah, so that's my take home message. Okay, so let's end with two questions. So the first is, since we have many people who are progressing in this chat, so what are some books that we recommend to different functional VP or manager electives. Oh, and the okay. second is like, yeah, how to find time to read. And let's let's aim to end at midnight, Lamar. Um, okay, uh, I can share maybe for people who are running for OGX, like customer experience essentially, uh, or I, IG, I, I get to. Like the book Delivering Happiness was really cool. It's a book on how customer experience uh, would make a company really successful and there are like good case practices in the book. Uh, and Sweta is actually reading it. So you guys can borrow it from Sweta when she finishes it. Mm -hmm. And how about for IGET and PD? Uh, IGET and PD are to sell as human. So, so basically it's a book on uh, uh, sales skills and about how selling is an everyday, every part, like, like part of our everyday life. Mm. Yeah. I think for me, for Oget and I get, I would definitely recommend the Lean Startup. It's one of my favorite books. Like even I would say every function, like every ISECA should have this entrepreneurial spirit. Like this is a book that talks about the basics of startups and it's, it's really fun. It's really engaging. Mm -hmm. So yeah. How about TM? Oh, I, I like the book Joy Inc. So it's spelled like this. Um, so yeah, um, it's a book on uh, a startup. It's called Menlo's, Men, Menlo's Innovation. 
so so basically it, it's a company that won awards on like best companies to work in like of course we know about the big four giants like google microsoft like those big companies are very attractive to working because they have good company culture but Menlo's innovation is a small company uh, and they actually did a lot of things that are quite pioneering to shape company culture. For example, they built a company, like people, like traditional companies, they built their companies for people to be quiet, to be silent, to work individually. But Menlo's Innovation set up their workspace where it's literally noisy every single second. And if you want to work by yourself, you need to actually go away, like go to a, a, a place where it's, especially for people who want to focus that moment. And the reason why the, 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 the founder did this is because he believes like through natural conversations, it is where creativity comes. It's not through deliberate conversations on brainstorming. It's actually the natural conversations, the jokes every day that brings the creativity out of every single person. Yep. And some more recommendations for me would be, yeah, Flame. Yeah. First of all, I hope there's Flame Pipeline. Second, if there is, then yeah, you can read these two books. I think because Flame needs to have a strategic mindset, like a CFO mindset. And for BM, for marketing people, like there's this guy, his name is Seth Godin. He's like a marketing expert. Like You can even ask Matthew. I learned this is marketing from Matthew as well. Like he was the one who recommended. So it's a book for all marketeers. And yeah, for LCPs, or I think for people in general, like two books would be Infinite Game and um, like, basically how Google works. I think like infinite game, you will really echo with COVID-19. Like, uh, like to have an infinite mindset in this period of time is something you can really learn from the book. And even like for those of you who are interested in like CSP and like the future of business, like what, what really should companies and organizations be doing in terms of having purpose? I think that's a, that's a very good book. So, yeah. Right. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So this is the end. Uh, I hope it's uh, enjoyable for everyone. <music>